this series is called Jesus in Living Color. Uh, you may have seen that on a little card. Actually, there's a bunch of cards back on that table. Feel free to grab some of those and, uh, you know, hand them out. Like, put them on your dorm bulletin board or something like that. And, uh, you know, spread the word about RUF. Spread the word about what we're doing. We're having a huge barbecue uh, on the La Plata Beach uh, Mall or whatever up there, the beach, uh, tomorrow night. And so that's just going to be free food, burgers and dogs and just sharing the love. And we've been doing that all week. We've had tables up there and we've been meeting a lot of people and a lot of people are interested. And so um, this is another chance to just kind of like interact and get to know people. And uh, RUF, you know, what we want to be is, a, is really a model or a light to the, to the community of what the kingdom of God is. It's not about RUF. There's a lot of Christian groups on campus and all of us really trying to do one thing. We're trying to just uh, show people the truth of who Jesus is. Uh, and how He can change your life, and how He can uh, really um, give you a purpose and a meaning in life. And, uh, and so that's really what we're all about. You might check out other groups and everything um, as, you, as you go if you're new. And uh, you know, we, we would hope you would find a home here uh, with RUF as well. But a lot of, there's a lot of great groups. And ultimately, we're just trying to grow the Kingdom of God on this campus. And so... Part of the way we do that at RUF is we really get into the Bible. Uh, maybe you, you come from a church or tradition where you, you were into the Bible a lot, you talked about it, and, uh, or maybe you came from a place where maybe they didn't. So, and maybe this is all new to you, like singing songs up here, praying, like what's going on? We want to just make sure you know that, that we are not going to force people into any kind of box. Uh, we want you to feel free to come, to listen to take part, almost like if you, if this is all new to you, like you would go to a shoe store and try on shoes, okay, and see how they feel and see how they fit and interact with us and ask questions and join in the discussion. We would love to just have that opportunity to be a part of your life uh, as you think about questions, as you think about all these things. But we find that the best way to do that is actually to, to read and to look at the authentic Bible, just like if you were taking calculus, which I did and didn't do too well, uh, I took Calc one twice, uh, as, uh, along with a few other classes. Uh, and uh, but you know, when I went to calculus class, guess what? We studied the calculus book. And uh, to some extent, when I think if you're in- interested in checking out the Christian faith, if you're interested in knowing who Jesus is, go to the authentic source. Okay, go to the Bible, and that's what we're doing here. And so we hope that you come and, and you interact and and uh, and you get to know who Jesus is. That's really what this is all about. Um, this semester, again, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of Mark. And I've entitled it Jesus in Living Color. But if you think about our culture, American culture especially, I've been reading a book called um, Jesus Made in America. And it basically goes through a history of uh, the American cultural, historical perspective of Jesus over the last 250 years. It's really an interesting read. And uh, as I was reading through that, I was just caught with how much Jesus has been used, Jesus has been abused, and uh, Jesus has been twisted. I mean, uh, all through our culture. And it's sometimes hard to understand, like, well, who is He? Like, really, who is Jesus? And, uh, you know, some people have said, well, he's, you know, he's just a prophet like Buddha or Muhammad. 
Um, you know, some people have said, well, he's a great teacher. Uh, you know, he's given us all these incredible ethical codes. Some people say, well, he's just, he's just that. He's just given us a code to live by. And uh, if, if you can just live up to those things, then you will be blessed and you will bless other people. Um, you know, some people, like Ricky Bobby in Talladega Nights, they, they like the six-pound, eight-ounce baby Jesus. And, uh, you, know, there's, you know, Hollywood has taken Jesus in all kinds of directions, you know. And um, Conan O'Brien, I was watching that one night, just a few years ago, but he had a NASCAR Jesus. Jesus came out in this little model... NASCAR with a shotgun and came like riding through the set. Um, anybody seen that one? That one? That was a while ago. Okay, what's that? Anyway, so but there is uh, you know the, and and then there's a whole series of movies that have depicted Jesus in Hollywood, like Cecil B. DeMille and just different uh, versions of who Jesus is. Elvis was telling me about a YouTube clip of some sort of. Uh, they take these old clips of Jesus in the movies and they put different words uh, in them. Maybe we'll show some of those uh, here as we go through this series, just so you can get an idea of like these crazy, whacked out ideas about who Jesus is. But Jesus has been used as well um, to sell to sell things. There, there have been you know uh, books about Jesus making you a better person. Jesus as a life coach. Jesus as a CEO, he's a business person. Jesus as a leader. Um, there, there's even a Jesus diet book. You know, Jesus ate a lot of fish and rice and, you know, healthy things, you know. Uh, um, politically, Jesus has been portrayed and taken by both political parties in America. You know, Jesus is a conservative, he's a compassionate conservative. Um, you know, and uh, Jesus is also a Democrat and he's full of mercy and, and, and love and, and he helps poor people. Jesus has been like a political revolutionary. He's been seen as a Marxist and he's been used that way as well. I mean, Jesus has been used all through the, the political system in all kinds of ways. Jesus has been put on our wrists with WWJD bracelets. Anybody have one of those? Uh, Jesus has been sold... When I, I, I taught Bible, actually, for a couple of years and coached baseball in St. Louis. And when I was there, one of the kids came up to me one day and gave me a mint. It was a testament. It was like from a Christian bookstore. And instead of, instead of just like, here's a nice mint for you, it was a testament. And I think it had a Bible verse or something on there. I mean, Jesus has been marketed. All you have to do is go. And, and I like Christian bookstores. And I buy a lot of books, believe me. But when you walk into a Christian bookstore, you got to admit, it is crazy in there. I mean, there's fluffy things. There's all kinds of pictures. There's, I mean, it's just like, and the book section is like this small in this whole, you know, room. But, uh, Jesus has been sold. And so we're part of what I want to try to do uh, tonight and this semester is just like, let's get back to the basics. And so if you're new, if you're checking out Jesus, let's get back into the Bible. Let's get uh, here in the Gospel of Mark. And so um, read with me. I'm just going to read Mark 1-11 to as we kind of kick this off. So hear God's Word. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. John appeared. This is John the Baptist. 
baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I just want to look at a few things uh, in in this beginning portion of Mark. And I want to say that ultimately what's going on here is that Mark is explaining who Jesus is. In fact, if you break down the whole Gospel of Mark, which is, I think, 16 chapters, basically chapters 1 to 8 is all about who Jesus is. And then the second part is kind of about what He's come to do. But in this section, we kind of see both. We kind of see both. But one of the things that this focuses on is that Jesus is the focus of the Gospel. Okay, it says here in verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And I want to unpack that a little bit because, again, I think even this word gospel can be confusing. Like, what is that? Gospel, is that like some mission downtown? Or like, what is the gospel? And simply stated, the gospel just simply means good news. That's the Greek word for good news. And it was used a couple different ways. Maybe if an emperor had a son and was born and there was this excitement of a new emperor or a continuation of a dynasty. It was also used to just say, this is a military victory. There is good news. Look at what has happened. We have won. And I was reminded, and I was going to try to find it, but I didn't have time or I didn't make time to do it. But you know, when, when World War II ended, there's this, uh, I think you guys have all seen, I think it was Life Magazine or, or Time Life Magazine of the soldier sailor in Times Square um, kissing this nurse in the middle of Times Square. It's an old black and white picture. Have you guys seen that? It's a famous photograph. Apparently, that was two strangers that didn't know one another at all. And w- they were in Times Square, and when the announcement came that we had victory in Europe, um, what's that? Victory over Japan. Oh, Japan? Okay, I'm wrong. Okay. They, they were there together, they embraced, and they kissed one another passionately in Times Square. Why? Why did they do it? Well, because this incredible event had happened. The war was over. The war had ended. Peace was coming. Uh, enemies were going to rest and put down their, their swords, so to speak, and their guns. And this just brought about a reaction of joy. And, and, and really, that's what good news is. For us, the, the other day, it was when the electric came on. We were, about, like, we were about 48 hours without electric. I know you guys up here didn't really have the power go out, but even one day, even a few hours without electric, you're, you're, you, you become so dependent on like... We were like camping at my house. We were all just kind of sitting around the candle and the living. It was actually kind of nice. It was a, 
a good communal time. But when we, when the electric finally did came on, we all just went outside and clapped. The electric truck came by. We were clapping and just having a good time. And, uh, apparently we were just like out of phase or something with like, there wasn't even any, any power lines down in our street. So I don't know what happened. But let me just say that, uh, that the gospel, this good news, and what Mark is saying is it's about Jesus Christ. It's wrapped up in what Jesus Christ and who He is. And He calls Him here um, Jesus Christ. Okay, and I think you might think, well, is that His last name, Christ? Like, Mr. Christ, would you please uh, come here? And uh, really that term Christ is the Greek term for a Hebrew word which just means Messiah, the Anointed One. That Jesus is the Christ. And what Mark is saying is he is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that he is the one that was promised from a long time ago from Genesis when when the fall happened. And let me unpack that a little bit. But what we're getting at here is the Bible story is that God created it all good. He created this world uh, good and perfect. We were in paradise, Adam and Eve, perfect relationship with God, perfect relationship with one another, perfect relationship with their environment what the Hebrew writers called shalom, an ultimate peace. And then sin entered in. The serpent came. He tempted Adam and Eve. And they said no to God and yes to what they wanted. Yes to what the serpent wanted. And that caused basically an earthquake that shattered throughout the entire creation and brought about the fall into sin and disintegration. And so that shalom or that ultimate peace was broken and that is the bad news. <laughs> but the ultimate promise was right back in the garden where uh, the Lord said to, to, to Adam and Eve that the woman, Eve, was going to have a seed that would come from her that would crush the head of the serpent. And that was a seed promise of the Gospel that there was somebody that was going to come to do away with sin. There was going to be a Messiah. And so all through... The Old Testament, basically what you see are these hints and these pictures and these foreshadowings of this Messiah that is going to come. And then ultimately, uh, He does come in the Lord Jesus. And so, Mark is saying, this is Him. This is Jesus Christ. Jesus the Christ, the Son of God. The Son of God. He's the One. And uh, and even Mark in this passage, if you look down in 2 and 3, he is making mention of this Old Testament idea that there was going to be someone who was going to come to deal with sin, to deal with the brokenness, to deal with the broken shalom that we're in. So in verse 2 and 3, he says, Behold, I will send my messenger before your face. These are all Old Testament prophecies from various places, from Exodus 23, from Malachi 3.1, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's from Isaiah. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make His path straight. And so Mark is... Mark is making a point to say, guess what? This is all tying together. The prophecies are all true. Uh, Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, has now appeared. And here He is. And so, and He was going to have a forerunner right before Him, and that is John the Baptist. And so, let me just say a couple things about the Son of God, this title of Jesus. And that's important because what we're saying in the Gospel, this good news is that Jesus is not just a man. He is a man. He's fully man. And He is fully God. Try to get your head around that. Theologians have been trying to get their head around that for 2,000 years. 
It's hard. It'll blow up your brain, basically. But this is who Jesus is. He's the God-man. He is fully human. He's able to relate to us in every way, Hebrews says. He's suffered. He's undergone all the temptations we have. And yet, He's without sin. And yet, He's also God's representative. And He's perfect and holy. So, this is the God-man that has appeared. And... The exciting thing about that is, is that uh, it's saying to us that we we need something bigger. We need something bigger than just a man. You know, we we need something incredible. We need God Himself to come down and deal with us. We need God Himself to like appear and to be uh, this incredible uh, miracle worker. Miracle, miracle worker that only God can be. And so, that's what we have with Jesus. And so, what we see in the book of Mark as well is Jesus fulfilling all these prophecies in the Old Testament and He does things that only God can do. He starts healing people. He starts casting out demons. He starts healing the blind. Uh, raising the dead. And doing things that only God can do. And if you're me, if you're you're science, you know, you're scientific, you're an engineer, you're analytical, like you think about those things and you say, well, gosh, how can you know this? This sounds like myth. This sounds like legend. But to me, it makes sense if we if if you believe in God, if you start with that and say, no, I believe that there is a God who created it, everything, and He was incredibly powerful, and an engineer and an artist and amazing, and then you say, well, God's Son is equal with God it would make sense that He could do the things that God could do. And so that's what we have in Jesus. He's showing everyone that He is more than just a man, that He is God Himself. And that's So we have those miracles. We have those signs that say that this is someone from God. This is, this is God Himself. And so the first thing here is that Jesus is all about the good news. That it's wrapped up in Him. He's the focus of it. He's, it's, Jesus is the good news. He is the gospel. And He is all about the gospel. He's all about bringing the good news of the gospel. And, you know, college, this place is going, is a place where there's incredible freedoms. Um, you know, and what you're going to learn, uh, if you're a freshman here, is that not everything out there is good for you. You know, you might think it is, and a lot of people like say it is. But what you're going to find too is you're probably going to be in an arena where you're going to see the darkness of your own heart. You're going to see the darkness of your own sin and your own inability to like say no or to, to things. And because temptation and everything is going to be so strong. And so the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to help us with that. Jesus Christ has come to literally change our entire lives and make us, make us excited and make us new people um, to give us a relationship. And so, there's a, there's a second thing here is there's a, a call for a response. This passage is all about that because John the Baptist is showing up and he's saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. He's saying, wake up. He's here. Everything's got to change. Everything's different now. Wake up. Wake up to this reality. And so we see it here, uh, verse 4. John appeared, baptized, or he says, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. 
Verse 4. Now, this is interesting because from, from the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, to Matthew, or the beginning of the New Testament, was a period of about 400 years. Okay, Malachi was the last Old Testament prophecy. So basically, Israel is in a period of silence. It's like, it's like the Dark Ages in terms of prophecy. Nobody's doing anything. They all knew, or, or those in, in the know, knew that there was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah. And then finally, they start seeing this guy, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is wearing uh, camel skin. Okay? He's out in the wilderness. He's eating locusts, cicadas or whatever. He's, 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 uh, he is out there. And don't think that like, oh, this is just how people were out there. No. There's a statement taking place right here that God is giving this John the Baptist guy and it's like old school prophet has come to town. Okay? And people are seeing this like crazy man and people are being convicted and it says that all of Judah or whatever was going out there and being baptized. Like, they understood. It was spreading like wildfire. They saw this guy, John the Baptist, and they were like saying, this is Elijah. This is the forerunner. This is, something's happening. God is going to do something. And they were waking up to the purposes of God. And, uh, and they go out there. Yeah, verse 5. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem, uh, were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And so, what is he doing? What, what is this response? Well, it involves repentance. Okay? It, it, it involves owning up. And, and repentance is, is, first of all, just owning up to the fact that you need some good news. <laughs> it, it's, it's, first of all, just saying, guess what? If you look at your heart, you can see a lot of bad news. If you look at the depths of your heart, you can see maybe selfishness. You know? You can see maybe you don't really love your roommates like you should. You can, you can sense a lot of anger and it doesn't take much to get you going. Uh, you know, and, and, and we get darker. Maybe there's some real addictions to different things. Pornography. Uh, different things that we struggle with. Alcohol. Whatever. And you can see, you know what? I can't control that. Man, I try to say no to that and it just comes back again and again. You know, ultimately, you can see maybe just a lack of love for other people, just interested in yourself. And guess what? God wants us to know that, like, that's a good thing if you recognize that. Seeing the bad news. Seeing the, because you gotta see the bad news before you can get glad. The glad news, so to speak. The glad tidings of the gospel. You gotta see that you're in, that, that actually, you're a sinner. Actually, you don't love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you don't love other people that well. In fact, you see that you worship other things. Um, I used to draw, when I taught Bible, I used to draw a picture of a stick figure, or like a Gumby character with a big hole in his heart. And this is kind of a picture, so picture Gumby with a big hole in the middle of his chest, okay? And to some extent, this is, this is our lives. John Stott said that all people have a, have a God-shaped vacuum in their lives. And they're seeking to put things in there to give them life, you know? And, uh, maybe, you know, you're here in college, maybe it's like, if I can just get into that major, then I'm gonna, I'm gonna be happy. 
Uh, if I can just get, you know, 4.0 or some sort of GPA, I'm going to be happy. If I can just get that girl or that guy to like me in a relationship, then I'm going to be happy. I'm going to be fine. You know, and as you go on, it's like, if I can just get that job, if I can get that career, if I can get that house, if I can get whatever. And all those things are good things. But the heart of our problem is that we take those things and we overemphasize them and we over-worship them. That's what Paul says in Romans 1. Instead of worshiping God and giving glory to Him, we worship the creation. We worship things. I worship ESPN. Uh, I mean, you worship sports. You worship whatever it is. Multiple things all the time. This is our hearts. We're like big vacuum cleaners. We're like big sucking machines. And we're just saying, give me and make me happy. And we can't be still. And we can't just be satisfied in God. I think that was part of what I learned with the the power outage. I have a hard time just being still. And not having TV, not having different things, not having internet, all those things that kind of control us. And then the power goes out for like two days and I'm irritated. Uh, You know, what is that saying? What's that saying about me? Well, it's saying that I'm a sinner. And uh, ultimately, God wants to show us that that's who we are. But what is John doing? He's doing his baptism here. He's washing. He's saying that you need to be cleansed. That you need to have your sins forgiven. And so repentance is simply owning up. It's recognizing who you are as a sinner before God. And then turning uh, in faith to another. And that's what John was doing. He was pointing people to another person. He wasn't pointing people to come worship John the Baptist. He was saying, guess what? Somebody's coming. Somebody's coming and he's amazing. His sandals I cannot even untie. He is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He says in verse 7 and 8, you know, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so this is what it's about. It's about not looking to yourself, not looking to anything that you can do. It's looking to another person. And he's saying it's looking to Jesus. This is the most exciting thing about the Gospel, about this good news. Because we tend to think, i got to get my act together. Okay, I'm going to try this Christianity thing on and I'm going to like read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to go to RUF. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to like try to do all these things. I'm going to like get myself together. That's not the Gospel. The Gospel is not a code of ethics. The Gospel is not a self-help program. The Gospel is saying, I can't do it. I'm a sinner. But guess what? There's someone else that has done everything for me and I trust in Him. I look to Him. I look to what He has done in His life. That's what the Gospel is. It's not, I can get it together myself. I can be a religious person. It's saying that there's nothing that I can do to make God love me. Because He's already done that through Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. And so it's looking outside of yourself. And this is the hardest thing to do because our hearts, our hearts want to say, no, I can do it. I can satisfy God. I can be a good person. But before a holy, righteous, perfect God, we can't. And that's, that's a tough truth. That's a tough truth. But that's what Jesus has come to do. He's come to deal uh, with that very situation. And so have you owned it up? Have you owned up to your own sin? Um, 
It's simply just acknowledging that and say, God, I'm a mess. You know, I'm a bigger sinner than I thought I was. Um, this has really got me. I have no ability in and of myself to save myself. It's just acknowledging that and then saying, I need Jesus. I trust in Him. And then this last thing really is, I think, what puts it all about all, all together. And that's the last part where we see Jesus coming and being baptized. And this is kind of strange. And this is one of the things where I would say the Bible um, is self-evident as truth. Because if you were to make up a religion and say Jesus is the, is the hero, and you were, you were telling people that He is without sin, then why in the world would you write about Him then being baptized by John the Baptist, who, was, who people were coming to to confess their sins? What is going on there? And I think what's going on there is that Jesus is identifying with His people. You know, Jesus is also called Israel's son. And just as Israel failed to live up to God's love and to God's commandments, when you have Jesus come on the scene, He's called Israel's son. And He he basically performs obediently to everything Israel did not perform and do. And so we have Him here going to John the Baptist and being baptized. And what He's doing is He's identifying with His people. And ultimately, this is pointing ahead to His ultimate identification on the cross. Because He says elsewhere that to His disciples, I have a baptism that you all know nothing about. Baptism was simply washing of water. Cleansing. It was symbolic of a washing that was going on in the heart through the Spirit. And Jesus is saying with His baptism that He is the one that's going to take on sin and then be baptized for our sin and be washed for our sin so that we then can be cleansed of God. And so baptism, the baptism of Jesus is a pointer to the cross. It's a pointer to the cross that where Jesus undergoes our ultimate uh, death, our ultimate judgment. Because the cross is all about Jesus identifying with us to the point where He takes on our sin and then God pours out His wrath of judgment and justice on Him so that we are set free and so that we are fully accepted. And so, like it says here, the Lord, His Father says, You're my beloved Son. With, with you I am well pleased. The Father loves the Son. And ultimately, what we believe is that if we believe in Jesus, then we are unified with Him in His baptism, in His death, and then in His resurrection. And that we as well are fully accepted in Him. It's not acceptance in me. It's not, Chris, you're, you're a campus minister, man. You, you, can, you can get in. You're accepted. No. I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. But I'm believing in Jesus and what He's done for me. That's what gives us full acceptance. And this is, this is crucial because in our culture, everyone wants acceptance. Everybody's looking for acceptance. I mean, you're at a college campus and there's just hundreds of groups and they're, they're all saying, like, be a part of us. Like, you know, live up to our standard or do what we want you to do so that you're accepted uh, by us. And uh, we, we, you know, we have... We want to be accepted. I mean, we're driven by it. It's almost idolatry. 
you know, peer pressure is all about that, you know? And the college uh, scene is probably one of the greatest areas where that becomes something that can really control people. You know, and so we, you know, maybe it's body image, diets, you know, grades, performance, things I've mentioned before, GPA, you know, getting into that club, that group, that fraternity, that sorority, whatever it is. And that can control you. And you can say, my ultimate acceptance is only if I get that or make it there. And what the gospel is saying is no. Your ultimate acceptance is in Jesus. He loves you. The Father loves you. And it's outside of you. It's what He's done for you just by faith. And guess what? That changes everything. That's the good news that then sends you out to make you a person that loves other people. To make you a person that loves people that are different than you. To make you a person that that can hang around any kind of people on this campus and love them and be a friend with them, even though they might believe something totally different than you. Because it humbles you and it makes you see that, man, I'm no better than anybody else. But I've gotten acceptance from my Father through Jesus, His Son. That's what the Gospel is. Uh, and that's what the good news is. And you can have that. It's simply by faith. It's simply by saying, <laughs> I am a dirty, rotten sinner, but I believe in what Jesus has done for me. So we're going to investigate this. Um, I hope you stick around this semester, invite friends, and uh, you know we're going to just interact with, with Mark um, through the semester. So let me pray for us, and then folks are going to come up, and we're going to sing another song. Uh, and then we've got we got like a bunch of cookies and everything back here, so feel free to just hang out with us and uh, eat a cookie and, and chat and stuff. So let me pray, Father. Thanks for this night. Thank you for everyone in here, and just um, we just pray, Lord, that you would uh, deal with us where we are, uh, Father, with whatever's going on in our life, whether or not we have a faith or doubting or skeptical or really struggling with some sin, Lord, or, or whatever it is. Lord, we just pray that you would minister to us, uh, that you would show us your light. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and stand up. Turn to our closing seat With uh, your holy, Prince of Peace. Our